Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your host, Paul Oren. You can find me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can find Union Street Hoops on NWI.com, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Pods. We're everywhere. We're all over the place, right? Union Street Hoops is on Google Podcasts. We're all over the internet. We're worldwide. Welcome to the first podcast of 2020. Thrilled to be here and thrilled to have a special guest here, Valparaiso Assistant Director of Athletics for Media Relations, Aaron Levitt. Thanks for having me, Paul. Glad to be here. Thrilled to have you here. I wanted to bring you on because this is something, and and I want I would you know if I was smart, we would have done this earlier, like you know two weeks ago, leading up to New Year's. But uh, you know the end of the year and the end of the decade, there's this talk about what what's the all decade this, the all decade that, and I thought you have seen more Valpo men's basketball than pretty much anybody. It's I think it's you, Luke Gore. Yeah, Luke, Luke Gore's Luke, number Luke one. Luke Gore's the win. Todd Icow. Todd Icow. And you, are, 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 you know. And um, and so, and and I'm, you know, I've seen a lot of the home games, but uh, you've, you've been there through the whole decade. And so I wanted to talk about that. But before I get into that, I want to talk about the women's basketball team because we talk about big moments, and you actually had this great thing online where you did every top decade moment for every sports team at Valpo. And one of the things you'd mentioned was maybe a little bit of recency bias, but this this run that the women's basketball team was on until they they got really two very tough draws to start off conference play has been great. Um, the women's ba- – this is terrible. It's January 7th. Happy birthday, by the way, to Mark LaBarbera and Mike Opland and, coincidentally, Dan Opland. But it's January 7th, and I have yet to see a women's basketball game in person because I've been traveling a lot and I they haven't had a terrible amount of home games. You've seen a lot of them. Are they healthy now? Is that it? Is it the second year? Is the system working? Like, wh- how is this team finally put it all together? Uh, all of the above, I think. Okay. Um, healthy is definitely a big part of it. I mean, last year, um, if you look at last year versus this year and you know, the offense has always been there. We knew from day one under Mary Evans, like, we want to get up a lot of three-pointers, and we have. But the difference has been on the defensive end. I think part of that is because second year in the system, getting people who to understand the defensive style. And we talked about this a little bit with Mary on the uh, Valpo Basketball Weekly this week. But a big part of it, too, was just healthy. You know, when you go out last year, you had eight scholarship players dressing people get into foul trouble, then there's no one behind them on the bench to bring in. They can't be as aggressive as they'd like to be. And the defensive style um, Coach Evans wants with this team is very aggressive, very um, switching a lot of stuff. And it's borne out in the steal numbers this year, averaging over 10 steals per game. And when you can go 10, 11, 12 deep versus having just eight players, it makes a big difference on that end of the court. And so I, I think that's been a big key. Um, you know, you get players back like Caitlin Morrison, who missed yeah. all of last year. She goes right back in the starting lineup, playing almost 20 minutes a game. Uh, Marley Profit, just extremely smart player and great backup post to bring in off the bench. You get the pair of Denver transfers eligible, Grace White and Carrie Weinman, both kind of in that mold of what uh, what Coach Evans is looking for from players, these kind of versatile athletes who can shoot the three and You know, it all came together with a stretch that over the end of November and December, you know, you had some games in there. You look at like UIC and Chicago State and Detroit games 
we're definitely favored in, but we go out and we don't just win those games. You're blowing teams out. 63 to 37 against UIC. That was, uh, I mean, that was something else. And then, you know, the, the, the one that really stood out to me was going to Eastern Illinois and, and winning on the road by 12. Uh, two home losses in conference is obviously going to give some people pause, but Southern Illinois and Missouri State are really probably number two and number three. I mean, they're up well, there, right? Well, and that's the thing going into Missouri Valley Conference play. We're obviously much improved over what we were from last year and what we've been for quite a few years now, but we go into conference play, and you're talking about a Missouri Valley Conference that's looking to have its best season in terms of RPI ever. Yeah, Entering conference play seventh as a league in RPI behind only the Power Five in the Big East. Six top 100 RPI teams. Missouri State's nationally ranked right now, and they're number two in the RPI. Southern Illinois' top 60, I believe, now in the RPI. Um, so it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a battle, but that's that's why you like what how the uh, pre-conference played out. You had a couple games in those Ohio State and Northwestern games kind of early on that, okay, this is kind of what the Missouri Valley is going to be like in terms of physicality and kind of learning experiences for the group. And then you get the winning streak they went on, and not just the blowout wins, but the win over Bowling Green at home was a big one. Going, in overtime. Going too. to Toledo and winning. I mean, Toledo is a long-standing, strong women's basketball program. Like Learning how to win, I think, is big for this group, too, because there's going to be battles in Missouri Valley Conference play, and having that experience um, behind them, I think, will help translate, hopefully, to wins over the course of the Valley schedule in some of these tough games. As you said, depth is a thing. There's 10 players right now, it looks like, that are averaging 10 or more minutes a game. Uh, but it's all it's also pretty balanced, too, when, when you look at in terms of, you know, there's there's nobody doing 35, 36 minutes a game. Grace Hale's the only one over 30. Nice to see her as a senior leading the team in scoring and, and really, um, you know, finally getting uh, a shot to kind of be the team leader here. Addie Stoller also averaging in double figures. I can't wait to see him in person. It's going to – it's, it's you know, uh, I've been on the road, like I said, and uh, just I think they played some home games around the Thanksgiving area and then uh, just these two home games here in the last couple of days. Uh, go on the road to Indiana State next on Friday, and that's the team that Valpo beat in the conference tournament. And, uh, you know, if there's a rival in, in the league, I think on the women's side it's probably – ended up being Indiana State just because of some fun stuff that's happened during the course of those games the last couple of years. So I want to pivot now, and, you know, we're, we're talking all decade, right? And it was it was a simple text message that said, Aaron, I'd love to have you on. Let's talk all decade. And we didn't really talk about any parameters at all. This had been something that actually got kicked around by Eric Buggs on Twitter before. I mean, obviously, a lot of people were talking about this, but Eric Buggs tweeted out, uh, you know, Valpo basketball fans, who you got for your all-decade team. And then I thought it was really funny because people kept responding to him and putting a different point guard on the list. <laughs> and, you know, I'm I'm sure. But, you know, I, I kudos again to Eric Buggs as someone who has really stayed connected to the program in his time since graduating. And he's close with some of the guys on the team now. He's kind of been, a, a you know, a, a bit of a mentor. And it's kind of fun to watch because – you know, they talk about Duke, they talk about the brotherhood, right? These guys that, that stay in contact and mentor each other. And you're seeing that with Bugs a little bit. So that's uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, so all that aside, we, you and I were texting back and forth, you know, our all-decade team. And, and I think on its face, it was 
kind of easy to to cherry pick some players here and there. Um, you have since dug into the numbers a bit more, and I spent some time looking at who the eligible field is, and uh, and so let's talk about our all decade team, and then and then maybe we can talk about some of the best moments uh, of the decade. Um, I think it's it's easy. I think we can pick a starting five right now. And then, uh, then from there, maybe we'll look and see who would make the second team. So let's start at the top, the number one, the point guard. Uh, I've got nine eligible point guards. Um, we've got Eric Bugs, Tommy Kurth, Keith Carter, Alexis Williams, Max Joseph, Bakari Evelyn, Dion Lavender, and Daniel Sackey. Now, this is from 2010 till present guess, day. Present day. So, um, you know, Saki is, uh, first of all, Saki is like the thorn in the side right now of a lot of Alpo fans. They're not happy with how he's played recently. So, uh, you know, he's got an incomplete. Um, Dion Lavender was just here for a year. Uh, Bakari Evelyn just here for two years. Um, Max Joseph, four-year guy. Tommy Kurth didn't really stay healthy. Lexus Williams transferred out, was never really, you know, healthy uh, in the latter stage of his career. To me, it looks like a competition between Eric Bugs and Keith Carter. I mean, is that fair? Yeah, and and like you said, I dug into it a little more. I kind of went, if anyone's familiar with Bill Simmons' The Book of Basketball, where he picks his all-time NBA team and he makes a good point. Like, if you ask a wine connoisseur what wine they recommend, they don't just say a certain type of wine. They give you the specific vintage, the specific year. And so that's where I kind of dug in a little more looking at the numbers, okay, it's easy to say, oh, I'd pick a Keith Carter or I'd pick an Eric Bugs, but what version of them are you picking? Are you picking their first year? Are you picking their last year? So I dug into it a little more, and I have um, starting, um, and the way I looked at it, the way I thought about it, because I thought about like not just, okay, who had the best numbers, but if I'm putting a team on the court, what am I looking for? Yeah, no, I like this. And I think I like back this. to the the best Valpo teams of the decade, what – what were we running offensively? High ball screens with the five man. You spot especially in today's game, you spot up shooters off those ball screens. So when guys help, you kick open threes. And so that was kind of my thought as I was putting my team together. So my starting point guard, I had the uh, 2015-16 Keith Carter, his senior year. Um, you, you should know that as you were talking, I brought up the 2015-16 <laughs> stats because I thought this was far and away the, the easy choice as the best year of a Valpo point guard yeah I mean he's giving you four and a half assists per game he's not turning the ball over much he hit the three-pointer that year almost a 40 percent three-point shooter um I think fans remember that year just how dangerous he was running those high ball screens coming off them and either getting in the lane for his shot or kicking the ball uh yeah I think it was a pretty easy choice for the starting point guard I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that Keith Carter and, – and the way that I looked at this is I looked at it a little bit more uh, in a totality standpoint. Um, you know, Keith to me was the most – maybe of the 40 – I've counted 48 scholarship players that suited up for Valpo in the decade. Keith to me I think was the most tantalizing what if. You know, what if he was healthy the entire run here – what if he got that additional year? I mean, that's maybe yeah, the biggest you, what if. You imagine decade. that 16-17 team in Alex's senior year. 
and with Keith running the point again. <laughs> I've got a couple questions later on that we're going to talk about, and one of them is what's the biggest what if, and I think I might have spoiled it already. <laughs> but yeah, so Eric Bugs to me is maybe the single best game performance in the decade by a point guard against Wright State in the championship game of the Horizon League. Yeah, kind of stepping up in the moment for someone who you know, wasn't counted on to be that. That wasn't what he was bringing to our offense. And then when we needed it the most, he steps up with a career high, what, 24 points, something, something yeah, around there. Yeah, it was there. huge. It was huge. So when I think back to Keith and I think back to Eric and I think back to the moments that define them, um, you know, I look, Keith Carter was an amazing, amazing player. But a lot of what I'm going to remember about Keith is the what could have been's now that year you talk about i mean he started all 36 games he played uh he was amazing in that year in the 15-16 year and when he went out against george washington in the nit title game that changed a lot um you know the indelible image that i have of eric bugs is him sitting with his arms wrapped around the horizon league trophy kissing it jordan-esque and then I've got another great picture of Bugs of him and Brokoff walking back after their final career-ending press conference. Hey, um, uh, do you know who the photographer was on that, that photo? That would have been you, yes. That, 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 that was me carrying my however many final box score books in one hand and realizing, hey, this is a pretty great moment. So as we're walking, like digging my phone out of my pocket and like trying to hold it steady and it's kind of a blurry image but yeah that's i mean one of the images of the decade like yeah just the i mean you talk brotherhood and that just one photo's worth a thousand words right there and maybe this one of the other more indelible images of the decade for valpo basketball is in keith carter's junior season taking that shot against Maryland, the corner three-pointer, and getting fouled and not being called i mean if it is a clear clear thing so um I, I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with that. That that Keith Carter is. If you're creating a team, Keith Carter is the most talented guy yeah. there. Um, my heart goes bugs just because of what he's mm. meant, uh, what he meant to the team during his time here, and what he's can, you know continued. He's he's just he comes back to Valpo a lot and all of that. But you know, if I'm starting a team. Keith is probably. Are, are the we guy. talking about our benches now, or are we just sticking with the first team for now? Um, yeah, let's. Uh, let, no, let's let's just do first team now, okay. and then we'll come back. We'll come back to that. All right. Okay, shooting guard. I, again, I might have some of these positions a little off. Um, I just, you know, from memory, I'm trying to figure out where people go. Uh, Brandon Wood was a shooting guard, and he was here for just that. I mean, he was here for two years. One year at the beginning, at, at the turn. Um, Howard Little, Matt Kenny, Will Bogan, Levante Doherty, Jay Harris, Tavon Walker, Darian Walker, Micah Bradford, and Javon Freeman Liberty. Now, whether or not Micah Bradford is a shooting guard, I think there's a lot of people, you know, his father might disagree. <laughs> I'm not sure. So, um, you know, so Brandon Wood obviously transferred to Michigan State after that first year. Howard Little, Matt Kenny, four year program guys, as well as uh, Tavon Walker. Um, Will Bogan transferred in from Ole Miss. Levante Doherty transferred in from South Florida. Jay Harris transferred out to Wagner and then ultimately UIC. Darian Walker was a JUCO guy. And Javon Freeman Liberty, knock on whatever wood you have in front of you right now. Um, I think the chances of Javon transferring depreciate almost every day. And the odds of him declaring and going to the NBA early uh, 
appreciate every 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 day. So, um, this is a loaded group, right? And I I know there's a couple other guys that might fit into the shooting guard role that I threw down at small forward. But uh, is your guy on this list? He is, and it's a loaded group, and it's guys who, if you look at it, what did they bring to their teams? And it's kind of a lot of different strengths within that group. You got some shooters, some defenders, some just tough, hard-nosed players. Uh, my guy is in this group, and I will say out of all the years I grabbed for everyone I considered, this is the only year, and this is kind of going to give away who it is, this is the only year that came within the first, uh, within the uh, underclassmen years Okay, okay. as a freshman or sophomore. Okay. The only one out of the entire group I considered. And so, yeah, mine, and it's kind of an incomplete right now, but just the way it's trending, I think it has to be. Uh, this year's version of Javon Freeman Liberty. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. Es- especially since I talked about how I want shooters out there, and it, it's not as good a shooter as some of the top shooters we've had. But the way he's improved his three point shot makes him a viable threat from out there. His basketball IQ is on par with. I mean, it's no, it exceeds like anything I've I've seen. He is a brilliant basketball player. Now, I. I I'm with you on the incomplete because I think what we're seeing now in the Valley through the first couple games is maybe teams have have studied a lot more tape of Javon and have maybe started to figure it out a little bit. But if there's a definition of a second-half player, I mean, that guy comes out of the locker room and I've joked he puts the cape on and he just goes. No, I mean, you look at those last few minutes of regulation against Evansville. Unreal. He knew he had to take the shots and – he took the shots and he made the plays. The game winner against Toledo earlier this year. Uh, he is he is fantastic. Uh, I so- think I think too beyond that, like you look his overall numbers. I mean, not to make this too much about just numbers, but you know, getting five and a half rebounds and three and a half assists per game out of your two guard, it's pretty solid. Yeah, he's got thirty seven steals so far through. Yeah, and that, yeah, games. we haven't we didn't even mention his impact. On that end of the court. He, he is on pace to break the single-season steal record, which is something Todd Icahn and I talked about earlier this year. We set the over-under at 63.5 because that would break Lubos Barton's single-season record, and everything we're seeing right now looks like that's going to happen. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. We're going we're gonna to go through the other three starters, and then we'll circle back. I'm fascinated as to who the top shooting guard off the bench would be. Because I do think that we're we're kind of judging on, you know, what we're seeing day in and day out right now with Javon Freeman Liberty. And I don't think anyone would disagree with the fact that the season he's putting together is an all-time one thus far. But I'm interested to see what we come back to as we go back through as our as our top guy. Now, small forward is is just kind of a hodgepodge of guys thrown together here. Um, we've got, well, we, we start with Ryan Brokoff and I think we probably could end with Ryan Brokoff, but we'll give the other 10, uh, Ben Boggs, I think was a small forward. Jordan Coleman, I think was there. Clay Yo here for a year. Nick Davidson, I guess was, I don't really know what position he fell under. Another guy who I don't really know where he fell was E. Victor Nickerson. He was a point guard at times. He was a, but his height allowed him to play there. David Scara, Shane Hammink, Marcus Golder, Ryan Fazekas, and uh, a guy that I'd forgotten originally, uh, but maybe goes in the Ryan Fazekas category, is Alex Rossi. Um, 
So you look at these guys here, uh, Ben Boggs, We'll uh, we'll circle back to him later on. It's one of the great moments of the decade. Uh, you know, Clay Yo only here for a year. Victor Nickerson transferred in from Charlotte. Jordan Coleman transferred in from Hawaii, and then a JUCO. Nick Davidson here all four years. David Scar transferred out to Clemson. Shane Hammock transferred in from LSU. Marcus Golder, a JUCO guy, and ultimately left. Fazekas in from Providence. Alex Rossi in from Cal. So if you look at four year small forwards for Valpo over the last decade, it's two. Nick Davidson, if he is, in fact, a small forward, and Ryan Brokoff. I think we know who is going to be on this list, but what year do you... I will say, this was... You look at his final three years, and there's pros to all three of them. His his best three-point shooting year was actually his sophomore year, he came in at a uh, 44.8% from three, but that year he was still kind of a tertiary option behind Brandon Wood and Corey Johnson. Um, wasn't as good a rebounder necessarily yet. Um, then you look his junior year when he became the top option, I think you saw a little bit of a slump in the shooting numbers down to only 39%. But yeah. again, his junior year, he was the Horizon League player of the year. You know, that was the year you really saw a jump in his rebounding, eight and a half rebounds per game. He became the guy for the team. And then his senior year, his three-point shooting rebounded a bit up to 41.7%. His best free throw shooting year, rebounds were down a little. But so there, there's pros to all three, and I'm still not sure, like, if I'm 100% confident in which one I picked. But I ended up, I went with the senior year, 12-13, um, you get the nearly 42% three-point shooting. Um, you're still getting seven rebounds a game out of him. That was, you know, I think that was his best year, and it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, I'm glad he won one Horizon League Player of the Year award, but kind of unfortunate he was going up against uh, Ray McCallum there yeah. in that time head-to-head for those uh, individual honors. But I think Brokoff would be the first one to tell you the the biggest honor was winning the – Horizon League his senior year and going to the NCAA tournament. I you know I'm torn between which year, um, which year to look at here. I it would be between his junior and senior year, and I really feel like, you know, there was a lot of hand wringing when Brandon Wood left to go to Michigan State, but when Brandon Wood left, that allowed Ryan Brokoff to kind of become the player that we all kind of thought he could be, even coming out of. Uh, the Australian Institute of Sport, um, you know, he needed to be on a team that was going to share the ball a bit more. And Brandon Wood was a dynamic scorer. And once he left, again, you see what happened. Um, that junior year was special in that they beat Butler three times. So, and and that was... Uh, that I, was... I don't know if you've ever reminded us of uh, <laughs> of the, the last time Butler beat Valpo. Look, I think it might have come up once I or twice. I know the line starts behind me of people who talk about that but you're in that line so don't don't throw it at me like uh yeah i did have the the valpo's never or valpo has a four game winning streak against an nba head coach that is fair um you know that that junior year i think to me stands out a bit more than the senior year simply because it was it wasn't necessarily expected it was the fulfillment of that potential and as you saw it day in and day out it was just excellent and 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 we forget he had 21 blocks as as a junior i mean that you know he just he did a little bit of everything right and he was uh and 
I mean, he had the same amount of blocks essentially as Kevin Van Vyke had. Um, it uh, yeah, I think you really saw a leap. I think in his defense that year too, and it's kind of a little bit fuzzy thinking back. What? eight years now but I remember you know when we would go zone and just his understanding of the the backside help and being there um being a big part of why that team as a group took a leap as well because I think as a as a group that team wasn't expected to necessarily accomplish what they did that year pick to finish fourth or fifth yeah especially you lose a score like Brandon Wood you graduate Corey Johnson you know, okay, who's going to be? You graduated Howard Little. You lost three of your top four scores from the year before, and yeah, I think I can definitely see an argument for that version of Brokoff as well. And like I said, it was my toughest. Yeah, look. no, I I agree. But I don't think there's any doubt. Some version of Brokoff would be that the starter at kind of a small forward wing position. All right, power forward. Um, so we've got Richie Edwards, the Arizona State transfer. Was here for a year, probably best known for getting a technical at Milwaukee and an amazing moment. Corey Johnson, Bobby Capabianco, Alec Peters, Jabril Adekoya, David Chadwick, John Kaiser, Joe Burton, Malik McMillan, and Parker Hazen. Um, guys that transferred out, well, Joe Burton just was kicked out. Parker Hazen left. Richie Edwards left to go to Arizona State. Um David Chadwick finished his eligibility, I believe, uh, yep. and uh, was was in a lot of pain. He transferred in from Rice. Uh, John Kaiser will be a four-year guy. Um, Malik McMillan looks like he'll be a four-year guy. Bobby Capabianco transferred in from IU. Corey Johnson from Iowa State. Jabril Adekoya was a, essentially a four-year guy. And Alec Peters, a four-year guy. Um, this is probably the easiest, right? Junior year, Alec Peters. Yep, yep. I mean, and and really, look, his senior year, he was really, really good, right? His sophomore year, he was really good. But there's like a 12-game window at the end of his junior year that we were watching greatness every single night. And it might be longer than 12 games. It might have been the whole season. But I just remember that run that he went on late in the year into the NIT and just like – feeling and this is going to sound fanboyish but feeling that it was just an absolute honor to watch that kid play basketball yeah i mean he he was doing things we had never seen anyone in a valpo uniform do and i mean i think it kind of started it didn't start that run necessarily but you know i think we first saw it like oh he's taking the leap he had that 39 point game up at Detroit in early January of that year. And it but and then it was the game against Detroit at home 32 and 11. He had 23 at Milwaukee, 25 at Green Bay, 32 against Green Bay in the conference tournament loss. And really, you know, it's crushing. You you're coming off a year in which you go to the NCAA tournament, you're loaded, you look like you've got a team that can win. And they lose in kind of a freak way against Green Bay in a game that had a little bit of everything. And you could have packed it in. And here he comes out and he scores 28 against Texas Southern, 26 against Florida State. He scored a third of Valpo's points against St. Mary's. And then against BYU, he had 15 and 9. Um, and that was a game where maybe he shared a little bit more with guys. And and then George Washington, he had, he had a double-double. And... 
that was just it was it was amazing you know really from from february 13th until march 31st he led the team in scoring in every game and i mean it's just amazing amazing year best version of alec peters we've seen was the second half of his junior year yeah and it's a shame we didn't get to see a second half of the senior year that what would he have done if 100 percent healthy where would the team have gone I guess I don't know if that's one of your what ifs later. Yeah, I mean but, I think it's a I fair mean, question. Even even before he was sidelined, you know, obviously playing with this and you could see it not necessarily in his scoring numbers, that kind of eight game stretch and that started I think it was late January, um his senior year. But if you looked at his rebounding numbers, that's where it really stood out. Someone who we were used to grabbing eight, nine rebounds a game was only getting four or five and in retrospect you look back and see, oh, this is where it yeah. started affecting. Well, I mean, what we've heard, everything I've heard is that February 4th of that year at Green Bay, he broke his foot. Um, you know, it, I think, was it Kugel, I think? Uh, somebody from Green Bay who just banged into him. And, and, and you know, then he, he came out and played, you know, the next month, basically, and uh, next couple of weeks at least, and, and – uh, Man, just uh, a tough way, a tough way for that to end. So, uh, but yes, Alec Peters by far the uh, far and away. And and look, you could take his senior year and his sophomore year, and they're still probably better than anything else that anyone else has done. But that junior year was really something else yeah. for me. And then center, we've got eight of them. Um, you got Kevin Van Vyke, Vashiel Fernandez, Musa, Cameron Witt. Hervoye. Musa gay, not Musa Mbai. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You got to specify your Musas. That's right. Hervoye Vucic, uh, Jay Soroya, Derek Smits, and Martin Linson. Um, I suppose if we're if we're looking uh, at this season, you know, we, we probably should be throwing Ben Cricky and Emil Friesvillian <laughs> on there, uh, Siggy Lorang. We just, you know, those guys are not really uh, where we're, we're at. Um you know, this is interesting. It kind of depends on what you want, right? Uh, I think you cut off the bottom six of Musa, Cam Witt, Vucic, Jay Soroya, Derek Smith, and Martin Linson, and and you center it on Kevin Van Vyke and Vasile Fernandez. And and offensively, I think you get one answer, and defensively, you certainly get another. And I think for me, when I look at it, there's there's scoring everywhere else on the court. You don't need your five man to be scoring in double figures, and especially with how I said like imagining offensively you think back to that 15-16 team and how efficient offensively they were and it was you know Carter running those high ball screens with Vasheel I mean how many Keith to Vasheel alley-oops did we see off those those ball screens so I'm going 15-16 Vasheel his his second senior year yeah yes yes (laughs) um I mean he was still efficient shooter shot over 50 percent from the field he but rebounded well and that was his best defensive year led the nation in block shots was named one of the national defensive player of the year award winners um and if you're keeping track this means three of my starting five were from that 15-16 season uh, and that's you know clearly was the best year for Valpo basketball and, and, and yeah i mean the the what ifs there what if they our last four in instead of first four out. But I think you look at it and looking at the starting five I've compiled here, I mean, imagine Vashiel anchoring behind like Keith and Javon 
providing ball pressure on the oh. perimeter. Like if not, like if Javon had that kind of shot blocker behind it, like how much more aggressive could it? Can he be more aggressive on the defensive end? I don't right. know, but but give, to have that kind of team, anchor back there, give me a team with Keith Carter, Javon Freeman, Liberty, Ryan Brokoff, Alec Peters, and Vasheel Fernandez, and th- I mean that's that's excellent, right? And I know that you know you can do this with any team, right? I'm sure that that any valley team can look at their last decade and pick their five best guys and but i mean that team's competing for a championship you know and and maybe maybe more than just a valley championship that's a that's a loaded loaded team um so let's talk depth let's talk second team i think i think let's uh and for for fun let's reverse it let's go center first (laughs) and uh and obviously now i guess this becomes an odd question are you like? Is it a different player that you're gonna choose, or are you gonna choose like a second? Oh season? no, no, I'm not putting. We're not stacking the team with okay. like okay three versions of Ryan Brokoff and three versions. of I would Alec love Peters. to do that. I would love to do that. But this this isn't a what if sports dot com here. This yeah. so, we're, we're constructing a roster one 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 person per. Okay, so uh, so Vasheel is is the center here. Uh, so it's got to be Kevin Van Vyke. Yeah, I, I went Van Vyke senior year as the backup post. That finally was healthy, he, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, went to see Frank Exton in Crown Point, got his back taken care of a little bit, and finally was able to play. Uh, you know, more minutes than than we'd seen before, and really the start to that year. You know, the the game at Kent State, right? I mean, the putback to to was it the putback to to send it to overtime, or was yeah? I, it I mean, he had twenty five points in that game. He had twenty against Nebraska, although that was one that you know, kind of a bitter taste there. Thought they should have should have won that one. Um, you know, thirty one at Detroit in that that crazy eighty nine eighty eight win. Um, you know, he just he he was excellent that season, and he played. yeah that was I believe he set the Horizon League record for field goal percentage within conference play that year. He was something up in the mid to high sixties within the league and sixty three percent overall. Like, that that was he he knew what he needed to do on the offensive end, and he he wasn't going to step out and try shooting three pointers. He knew he needed to get the ball inside, get the ball at the rim, and. And I'll say this about Van Vyke. One of the things we talk about with him a lot and his legacy is with his health. And uh, he start, he's the only guy in that team to start all 34 games. Um, broke off, missed the game at some point, and a couple other guys. You know, they rotated in uh, Bugs and Bogan. Load, load management. Yeah, load management, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that makes sense. Um, I have a feeling you're going to go one of my all-time favorite players here at Valpo uh, with uh, with power forward. Um Again, we picked Alec Peters, and we've got a a couple options here. But really, I think it's uh, it's pretty easy call. Who do you think I picked? I think it's Corey Johnson from his senior year. Yeah, I had the senior year Corey Johnson, and the I almost would have preferred the junior year one because if you look back, obviously that comes ju- falls just before our uh, our our cutoff there. That was the year he shot fifty percent from three instead of. You know, he struggled from outside his senior year, but yeah, just a hard nosed guy could score the ball in any number of ways and a good option off the bench there in the front court. 
it alarmed me that he only averaged 4.4 rebounds a game that year. And it's, you know, Valpo was not, they're a little bit more spread out. I think the leader was Brokoff at 5.2. So, um, just odd because later on with it, when Alec Peters showed up, we're used to the starting power forwards getting eight, nine rebounds a game. Um, but I just, you know, I mean, Corey was just, I mean, he shot 48% from the floor that year. He was just an excellent, excellent player and uh, really one of my all-time favorite guys to be around as well. I don't know if there's any other really even people in the competition here. I mean, Kappa Bianco was never a starter, right? I mean, or, I mean, never really the go-to guy, I should say. Uh, and you know Jabril had some some flashes of brilliance there, and and I'll tell you, I think if he plays his entire senior year, there's a possibility that he could have put together a season that would have rivaled Corey's senior year. But I think it's pretty easy that you know Corey Johnson's the guy you want on the team here. Yeah, for sure. Small forward again. We've talked about a whole mess of them. We take uh, Brokoff out of the equation here. Um, God, I think there's a lot of different directions you can go. I'm I'm curious to see what you're going to say. See, this is interesting because you did your position group separate from me putting together my team. And, okay, so is there... And I'm not actually sure. And I could... There were a couple guys under consideration. I In my final 13, I didn't have any of these other guys in there. But I think, you know, senior year Shane Hammink would definitely be right up there. But again, you know, if you're putting together a roster, you don't just need all the top scores like I'm looking for for different things in there and I think you know junior year E Victor you know just kind of not necessarily okay maybe he's not someone who's giving you 20 25 minutes a game but yeah. kind of that change of pace someone I mean you throw his length out there on the defensive end with a couple of those starters as well yeah I I I E Victor was a guy here's here's what I always thought about E Victor Nickerson he felt like an embarrassment of riches, a guy that you could give a scholarship to who you you didn't really know where he was going to play on the floor, but you knew you 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 probably had, were you got better as you, you had a better second unit than most teams had when he was out there. Never really sure kind of where to put him. And I'll tell you, if he had been able to stay healthy his entire career, um, I you know, there's a lot of what ifs there, but, you know, I. I don't know that Valpo got the best out of Evictor that he could have had. And he's gone on to play some pro basketball, too. So it's clear that the talent is there. Um, I think you also look at last year's Fizikas, and again, you're talking about needing to stay healthy. But I think it's easy to forget when he f- suffered his first injury last year, he was 44% three-point shooter. And we're talking like six three-point attempts a game. We're talking high-volume, high-percentage three-point shooter. To have that kind of guy coming off the bench and you know hey you spell a broke off with a physicus and you're getting the same thing from the three-point line now my position groups are a little off did you have a different guy originally in the small forward spot there well i kind of i didn't necessarily look at it as a second five i looked at as like bench so you're mixing it so i'm figuring okay you know two of the three of peters broke off and javon out there at almost all times yeah so then you kind of you're shifting javon maybe up to the wing and so I have more guards on my bench. Yeah, okay. Um, so, and, and again, it's a tasty group. Let's let's go let's go to point guard first because then we'll come back to shooting guard. Point guard, I think, is Eric Bugs, right? 
Yeah, I had, and I I went thirteen deep, so I had two point guards. I had the senior year bugs. Okay. Which again, you know, him running pick and roll with Vashil. If we combine late career bugs with late career Vashil, I think it would have been dynamic out there. And then I also had uh, Dion Lavender from last year, and I think it's really kind of an underrated season he put together. And obviously, you know, with the way the season played out, wasn't what um Valpo fans would have hoped for but you look at it I mean this is a guy shot 50 percent from the field 76 percent from the foul line giving you five rebounds per game almost four assists per game you know he was really a do everything point guard I think that be a good guy to have coming off the bench for this kind of team and sadly his contribution to last season will be overlooked because last season will be overlooked and and probably rightfully so but he was excellent at times and uh and and really you know i one of the the best things i'd heard him say was you know he had talked to uh he talked to coach loddick at one point and said i wish i would have been here all four years i love this place and just signed a professional contract in mongolia of all places 21 points in his professional debut and uh and and to show you how much he was thought of by the other guys on the team the reason I know that he had 21 points in his professional debut is like every Valpo player tweeted at him or hit him up on Instagram or something in the wake of that game. And they it really, they, they carry Dion Lavender. Uh, you know, he'll probably be overlooked eventually by the fan base, by the media, by everybody. But the players that played with him hold him to a high regard. So, so I like that. So, um, all right. So we have got, that's 10 so far, I think. Uh, you talk about 13. Um, let's That's talk- nine. Nine, okay. Nine. So uh, a couple more. Uh- so, yeah, there are a lot of the shooting guards. <laughs> I yeah. mean, and, again, I talked about when we went through the starters for the first time, just the different attributes, you know, different strengths they brought to the table. And I think that's why I wanted so many of them on the bench to fill out the 13-man rosters because, okay, if you're building a team, we need a lot of points quickly. You might want this. You're building a defense first unit. You're building a group that can full court press. Um, and so I had four of these. I had uh, the junior year, Brandon Wood, 10, 11. I mean, yeah. Just that kind of score coming off the bench. Excellent, excellent player. And, uh, you know, an- another guy that, as I look back at, at his relationship with the university, too, I do think people – were critical of him leaving because it was the first time Valpo had really dealt with that grad transfer thing. Yeah, it was a really new thing back then. Like but it didn't he, happen. Yeah, he has come back multiple times. He stays in contact with, and and actually, I think what's rare in college basketball is having a guy like Luke Gore on a staff for as long as he's been here. So there has been a common thread of all of these guys. All forty-eight of these guys we're talking about have been coached by at least one guy who's still here so uh but brandon wood comes back still he's always talking about valpo on social media um so yeah good good pick he, he was very excited when we beat uh southern illinois i'm sure he was and i'm sure <laughs> I, I remember that he may very well be very excited later on this evening too as valpo plays southern illinois uh tonight although i'm sure you're listening to this podcast well after this game is done okay so uh so b wood um still i think there are some tantalizing options here because I, I you know, because so we've got three more spots to complete a team of 13. I'm still looking at 
someone's going to get left off that I think is pretty deserving. You know, as we look at Tavon Walker's, Darian Walker had a, a great year. Matt Kenny, Will Bogan was so key to that team. Levante Doherty, Howard Little, man, yeah. How do you pl- plethora of riches there? How do you how do you how do you leave some of these out? We got one, two, three, four, five, six. I think we got six guys for three spots. And so I went. Well, I want a shooter off the bench, and that's kind of where the bench unit so far. Obviously, B Wood could shoot, but he was more pure score rather than just a three-point guy. So in terms of, again, building a team for today where you need guys out there who are knocked down three-point shooters, and this is a guy I had forgotten how good a shooter he was this year until I went back and looked at these numbers. Senior year Levante Doherty, 2013-14. Yeah. Averaged over 15 points a game, 42.7% from three-point range. That year was something else. Uh, for Levante and and if you if you ever got a chance to know Levante just the nicest nicest guy and he's kind of he he, Jordan Coleman and Bobby Capabianco were kind of in this bridge gap right between the broke off years and the Peters years and but that year was the Levante Doherty show yeah and I mean they played Columbia in this whatever tournament that was Really, simply to get Levante Doherty some to extend his career. I mean, as you remember, Bobby and Jordan stepped away from the team at that point, and it was you know Levante was let's get some tape, let's go be a pro, and uh, he was a lot of fun to watch. And but yeah, forty two percent from three, and I don't I don't think yeah. I realized it was that that high. He's a guy got to the foul line a ton and made a ton of free throws. So again. You know, that's kind of the, the weakness of the point guards if there is one. Both Eric Bugs, Keith Carter, those years, not really good free throw shooters. It gives you an option off the bench late in close games. A guy who can handle the ball and then when he gets fouled, go to the line and make thing make the shots there. So Levante Doherty takes spot number eleven. Two more spots left on the Valparaiso all decade team. What do we got? I went with junior year Tavon Walker. 2016-17. I mean, this is a guy, anyone who watched him play knows how tough he was. Um, I think that's that was something I'm looking for off the bench there, that toughness factor. A guy who can score if you need him to, but I think also a guy who was fine with not necessarily needing to score the ball. And except in the guy who's going to get in there and rebound against... 5.6 rebounds a game, yeah. almost six a game in conference... Got to the foul line as well, 80% free throw shooter. Uh, lacking a bit on the three-point shot there that year. Um, but uh, yeah, And again, I, if like you think about a defensive lineup, think about putting him as the third guard with Bugs and Javon. I, I just think <laughs> about Javon and Tavon on the court together, and I'm not trying to be funny with the way their names sound. Just, I, you better... You better bring your your steel-toed boots to the game, man, because that's going to be hard sledding to get through those two guys, the tenacious, tenacious defenders there. Uh, thought those uh, – that's, that's an excellent pick. So now final spot, uh, you know, Howard Little, Matt Kenny, Will Bogan, or Darian Walker. And this, this was probably my second toughest choice outside of the which year of the Brokoff would I pick. And it came down to me between Howard Little and Matt Kenny. 
Um, and I ended up going with senior year Howard Little, the 2010-11 season. 55% shooting from the And floor. he wasn't that strong a three-point shooter. Think about what that means, his two-point percentage was. Yeah. Like, this was a guy who knew how to finish around the rim and really kind of would give you a Swiss Army knife off the bench for this team. Like, what, what do you need him to do? He's going to go out there and do it. He was, uh, you know, he started every game his senior year. Uh, great guy. Great, you know, just it's funny looking back through this list, you realize just how how much you miss some of these guys, yeah. right? Howard Little, his family, it was great to see his parents at every game. They travel all over the place. Uh, it was never easy for them to get everywhere just with work schedules and everything, but loved Howard Little. And uh, and I, I think, again, I, Swiss Army Knife is probably the best, best way to describe it. Um, so... And again, another guy off the bench who'd give you on the defensive end, get up into guys. And- yeah. So, all right. The starting five, Keith Carter, Javon Freeman-Liberty, Ryan Brokoff, Alec Peters, Vashiel Fernandez. Hard to disagree with any of that. And then the bench, the eight-man bench, Eric Bugs, Deion Lavender, B. Wood, Howard Little, Levante Doherty, Tavon Walker, uh, what are we, Corey Johnson, <laughs> Kevin Van Vyke. Did we have one more on there? Nope, that's it. That's it. That's that's all. So a, so a little guard heavy on the bench, but again, like I said, like two of the three of Peters Brokoff and Javon, I'd imagine if this team was actually something playing out there together, two of those three would be out there at at the least at any one time. And so sometimes you'd have maybe some three guard lineups out there, but uh biggest snubs um Sophomore year, David Scara comes to mind. I thought he was excellent uh, at times there. Obviously, the huge shot in the NIT against BYU. Uh, Shane Hammock, uh, again, you know, we kind of talked about about him and E. Victor Nickerson there. Uh, really, I think the one that probably stands out the most to me, and I'd have to find a year where it all came together, is Matt Kenny. Um this is this is actually really crazy. Uh, I was just on a long road trip. I was in New Mexico at the White Sands National Monument, which is 275 miles of sand dunes. And uh, I'm standing up there, and a couple, like a group, a little family asked me, can you take a picture of us? And I said, sure. And one of them's got a Purdue sweatshirt on. The other one's got an IU hat on. And I said, oh, you guys are from Indiana? And they said, yes. And I said, I'm from Valpo. And they said, oh we know a guy that played there. His name was Matt Kenny. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I know Matt. And so I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably will see him at Indiana State, you know. And uh, and as, and so it was this small world, Matt Kenny, and talking about him in New Mexico. Um, so I, I guess since we left Matt Kenny off, let's uh, let's do some some fun decade highlights what is the most overlooked shot of the decade? The <laughs> the Matt Kenny three pointer with what was it six seconds to go in the twenty thirteen semifinal? Absolutely, without question. Um, you know, if 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 I look back at this season, I think Aaron Gordon's three pointer that he just hit late against Evansville to bring Valpo within two is probably going to be overlooked. Everyone will talk about how great Javon was late in that game, and he was. Uh, but that Aaron Gordon three was a huge shot, um, and that pales in comparison to how big that Matt Kenny three pointer was. You know, like uh, and- um, any of the Ryan Brokoff shots and the first win over Butler. 
Yeah. I remember, like, because we brought, I think that was a four-player press conference that day. Yeah. And Ryan Brokoff did not make the cut to come into the press conference because you had Howard Little had hit the back-to-back miraculous shots late in overtime that still I get chills when I watch those highlights on YouTube. You had, um, I think, B. Wood came in because he had come off an ankle injury, if I remember right. I think Corey Johnson came in and maybe Matt Kenny as well. And it's like, oh, wait, Ryan Brokoff had like, what was it, like 15 points in the second half in overtime. And Yeah, I mean, the, the Howard Little shot is the one that, that stands out. Yeah. Um, all right, best team of the decade, without question, is the 15-16 team. Yeah. What's number two? Is it the 12-13 uh, broke-off Bugs senior year team? Or is it the uh, the 14-15 team? Or would it have been, yeah. or I guess, that's you get the, into that's what? That's the team that played Maryland in the NCAA yeah. tournament. I mean, if we look at distinct eras in the decade, you've got you know the broke off teams, the Peters teams, and then whatever iterate and the Valley teams. We'll put it that way, because yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, it's becoming the Javon teams, but um, so I, you know, I would say the fifteen sixteen team is the top far and away. I think that. 12-13 team at least is probably held in the heart a little bit higher. That 14-15 team is right up there. Um, yeah, I think 12-13, that was like the culmination of a perfect ascension, if you look at it. It's like, okay, we go from we joined the Horizon League. That second year in the league obviously was a not struggle. Good. And not then good. you saw the progression year after year. And, you know, Homer steps down, Bryce comes in, wins a regular season title the first year doesn't win the tournament title and then finally you get over the hump in that 12-13 season winning the tournament title going back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a decade which you know was an eternity around here like yeah. the, the NCAA tournament had practically been a birthright it for was on the, the schedule for yeah, the previous put it, decade put it on the schedule every year from you know 95 until Oh four, basically, with the exception of two years, I think they missed. Oh, and I think the twelve thirteen team as well. You kind of look at maybe that gets held in a little higher regard because that was that was it for that group. Yeah, I mean, you had a group of six seniors who were who were playing their final season. They knew it was that or bust. Whereas, you know, obviously we love E. Victor and David Chadwick, but those were ended up being once Vashiel got his. Uh, second senior year those ended up being the only seniors on that 14 15 team yeah so it was like they reached the tournament but it wasn't it for that wasn't the end of their story so we talked about we hinted at this earlier the biggest what ifs of the decade um you know i I did a thing a couple years ago on nwi.com where i did like a what if for like every season you know and and um i think it's a fun question to ask right and for me, the biggest what if is what if Keith Carter gets an additional year of eligibility and is on the team for the 16-17 squad. Um, that, that to me, is the by far the biggest, maybe singular what if. And I think you hinted at it earlier, what if Valpo is first or last four in instead of first four out? What could that team have done? Is there anything else that stands out in your mind as a, as a big what if? Um. 
I've, I've got another wild card what if that does it involve michael rogers it, <laughs> no it does not but i think that's a what if right there you know we so fondly remember that missouri state bracket buster game um at the arc dick oh, fight I didn't, I didn't have mike rogers on the list that's that's oh, my mistake that's my even, mistake um but that missouri state game at the arc which was absolutely tremendous you get dick vital here for the bracket buster but you look at the what if on either side of it, and we're in position, like we're challenging for the Horizon League title. Right before that game, we go up to Milwaukee and, you know, point blank layup, bounces out, lose to Milwaukee. And I don't know why Milwaukee and Green Bay were split up in terms of a road trip, but you're at Milwaukee, you come back, you play this bracket buster against Missouri State. Great atmosphere, great game on national TV. And then you have to turn right back around. You go up to Green Bay to play 48 hours after you play this home game against Missouri State, and you drop a one-point game in overtime at Green Bay. And that was, uh, I mean, that was a tough one. You know, I think Howard Little grabbing a rebound. Was it Little? Little took the charge, take a charge like 90 feet from the basket. It called. Uh, and then I think he grabbed a rebound off a missed free throw and came down with it and traveled. Um, either one of those plays go differently. And, um, you know, but that was a charmed month for Green Bay. They won the Super Bowl that month. They uh, they win that. Uh, you know, what gets overlooked is that after those two losses, Valpo still kind of was controlled their own deal. And then they come home and lose by 20 to Loyola, a team yeah. that they'd gone on the road and beat them by 10 earlier when when the Horizon League used to do that silly thing where you play two conference games like a month before a conference really started. Yeah. And I, I think that was just almost the culmination of that stretch right there where you're on the road to Milwaukee, you come home, play this exhilarating adrenaline rush game against Missouri State, then you go slog back up to Green Bay, lose that slog all the way back, and I think just one of those cases ran out of gas there, but... So here's an interesting what if, and this is uh, this is more of a theoretical than anything else because it you know it couldn't really happen. But what if Valpo moved to the Valley one year earlier, and Alec Peters played his final season in the Missouri Valley? You know Valpo has been in the Valley for two years now, two plus years. They finished in last place and second to last place. I don't think an Alec Peters team is finishing in last place in the Valley there. Is, well, and I think the Valley, if you look at that 2016-17 season. Was that the Illinois State year where they were 17-1? That, that yeah, you had Illinois State and Wichita State were both 17-1, and one, but then outside of that it was kind of like kind of like last year's Valley was, one of those anyone can beat anyone. And the last place team in the Valley that year um, had five wins. So I think, it, yeah, that you would have loved to see – Alec Peters compete in the Valley. Um, if you look at just pulling up Ken Palm quickly, um, Loyola finished the season third among Valley teams in Ken Palm at, at 97. Valpo was ended that year with 104. Yeah, so Valpo would probably be competing there. Uh, and it also, would have been. I think it would have been much like the move to the Horizon League, where you look back that first year in the Horizon League. It was really strong. You had a group. I mean, it was a strong Horizon League, but you had a group that was able to compete. And then, you know, it took a couple recruiting cycles to get um, to get the recruit level back up to where okay, we can be consistently competitive with the top of this league. Uh, and plus, knowing Alec the way that we do, 
don't think for a second he's not dropping 35 a night when he plays Illinois State, right? <laughs> and yeah. he, he would take any kind of snub very personally in the fact that he didn't get recruited, you know, by, by Illinois or that, that they they hemmed and hawed. I think he joked at one point, uh, or maybe Austin, his brother, joked at one point that uh, that uh, Illinois State ended up passing on uh, Alec Peters, which ultimately got their coach fired. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, favorite game of the decade? You cannot pick a conference tournament or, and obviously, NCAA tournament games or NIT games. You know, most of them ended in losses. But uh, I, I, I just I had up the schedule of one of these years, and there's one that stands out to me right now. But uh, do you have a favorite game, favorite, favorite uh, uh, moment? I guess there. Can I cheat and pick a few different ones? Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, kind of going in a uh, in chronological order. Um, the one hundred three, one hundred two game. That, up at that was what I was looking at. That was the. And one. that's just the craziness of that game. December twenty first, two thousand ten, the Lou Henson Award Tournament, Valpo and Oakland. They hadn't been playing each other recently, and uh, two hundred and five points in regulation. In yeah, in regulation. I mean, that was amazing. I think the first Butler win. Yeah, you know, finally getting off that Schneid um, was was a big one. Um, just looking through the Missouri State um, bracket buster game, obviously, despite, you know, what effects it might have had on the league. I think that's still memorable um, just in terms of what it meant to the university to get that kind of um, national attention. I mean, Dick Vitale wasn't going to mid-major arenas, yeah, yeah. and he came here. Um, my, my favorite is coming up next on the yeah, chronological. Yeah, the come-from-behind went up at Detroit game we really I mean had no business winning 89 88 <laughs> Valpo down 18 in the first half um actually down 22 early in the second half Valpo's largest lead of the game was their final lead uh they led by one point well and, and uh Bobby Capobianco enjoyed the <laughs> end of the game from the locker room but As, again one of those things and it, I maybe it's just selective memory but Things seem to work out when Valpo teams have players get ejected. Um, earlier this year, the women with Caitlin Morrison, like the scenario happens, but then the other team does something stupid and Valpo actually comes out ahead on the deal. Um, the Bobby Capobianco one, for those who might not remember, Doug Anderson, the best dunker in the nation, not just in college, he might have been the best dunker in the entire United States at that point, goes in for a dunk, uh, what was it, early second half. And uh, Bobby Capobianco did not want him throwing down a two-handed windmill or whatever, <laughs> you know, tens across the board dunk he was going to pull out. And so kindly uh, used his body to prevent Doug Anderson from completing said dunk. Um, got a flagrant two for it, ejected from the game. But then Jason Kalish starts barking at Bobby as he's being escorted back to the locker room. Gets teed up. Anderson makes one free throw. Broke off hits two on the technical we win the game by one in the end. That's huge. Uh, the opener of the 13-14 season against Murray State was an excellent game. That was, you know, kind of the uh, Brokoff's gone, Bugs is gone, all those guys are gone. Here comes the new era, and what a game, right? And Murray State ended up winning like 25 straight after that. It was uh, – that was one that stood out to me. Yeah, the, and, the Mercer game that year, I think. Triple overtime. Even though it lost, that's the Mercer team that went on to beat Duke in the NCAA tournament. 
And also the one that stood out to me, too, in, in an odd way, was uh, Alec Peters scoring 30 against Evansville. Um, this was after the tornado had ripped through his town. And, uh, and, and just his big breakout performance there. Um, you know, obviously, Valpo didn't always fare well at Evansville until they most recently played there. But that was one that... That stood out to me as I know it wasn't a loss, but and they were down huge in that game too, and uh, and to come back and uh, and and make it a game and Peters with thirty was yeah. was big. I think the fourteen fifteen team and it's a set of three games, but the challenge in Music City down in Nashville, I think, was the first time you're like, this team's uh, good. Yeah, I mean, you go in, you smack Drake by twenty, and then you beat Murray State by thirty five, and then. Followed up third game in three days, easy fifteen point win over Portland, and you're like, okay, yeah, we could have something special here, and they that, obviously that, went on to win the uh, Horizon League and go nearly win an NCAA tournament game. That was something else, and then you know the one that stood out to me in the negative way that year was uh, was the Green Bay loss at Green Bay, fifty one fifty. E Victor misses the shot there at the end, but that was a game where Lexus Williams uh, going through pregame warmups. Uh, dislocated his kneecap or broke his kneecap again, and that was uh, that was a tough one there. Uh, other top moments of the decade here as we get into the fifteen sixteen, the, the entire fifteen sixteen season. Really, yeah, the entire <laughs> the entire year. Right? Um, but I think, I mean, there's obviously you have winning at Rhode Island. That was a national TV game. I think killing Iona at home. That was again. Oh, hey, Iona's supposed to be really good offensively, and we hold them to fifty eight points. I think that was the first time it's like. We could be something really special on the defensive end. You go to Oregon State and win, but I think the one for me that's most memorable that group is the game up at Oakland, which sounds weird because, you know, okay, it's a conference game. It wasn't a particularly close game, but I think that's what made it memorable for me. Like, this rivalry was all about every single game going right down to the wire. Yeah. And then second conference game, we go into Oakland and just – Beat them down. Twenty-four points for Devon Walker in that one. I'll tell you here. Uh, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I'd forgotten about this until I just remembered it. My favorite basketball watching experience that wasn't at a game for the decade was November twenty-fourth of uh, what year is this again? 20, 2015. 2015. November twenty-fourth, twenty fifteen. Valpo's at Oregon State. You're obviously at the game. I'm home. I'm getting ready to watch it. A friend of mine texts me and says, Homer Drew just walked into Northsides. And I said, what? <laughs> and so I, I got dressed quickly, and I, I, I burned rubber to get to the bar. And, uh, and that was the only place in town that had the Pac-12 network. And I walked in, and he was sitting at the bar by himself. <laughs> and I, I said, hey, coach, how you doing? <laughs> and he, 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 he said, pull up a chair, sit down. I watched the game with him. He had every out-of-bounds play called. He documented everything. He told me they're bringing the ball up. They're going to call timeout right now. Here's what they're going to run. That's what they're going to do. And he educated me in basketball, and I educated him in what burger to order from Northside. (laughs) And it was, you know, the game ended. He threw down a 20 and said, uh, he said, this is for my bill. Paul, if there's anything left over, put it on your bill. And I think his bill was like 
24 so i think i ended up having to pay, pay a little bit but it was oh it's excellent it was so it was so awesome uh such a cool moment to sit there and uh and and watch uh oregon state there uh, watch with homer so and then you know the latter part you know obviously we you know the the 16 17 year was uh the tournament in vegas yeah you know, that was that was fun um just that BYU game going down to the wire there was uh, was excellent. Um, Rhode Island, I think, obviously, you know, we had had the, the monkey on our back in terms of results against ranked teams ever since the NCAA tournament. It would have come up in every AP game story every time we played a ranked team until, you know, we get that win over Rhode Island. And, and you know, we talk about the Valley and what the what if, and then Valpo, uh, you know, without – Jabril and Max in the lineup goes to Missouri State and beats them by three with Alec Peters hitting three free throws at the very end. It was an excellent game there. And then coming home and, and thumping Indiana State. And and that led them, uh, you know, eventually into conference play where, you know, Valpo looked like they were going to be pretty good. And then, uh, you know, Alec gets hurt. Worst basketball game I've ever witnessed in my life against Milwaukee in the Horizon League tournament. Uh the score at halftime in that one is 16 to 12 Milwaukee. Uh, again, easily the worst basketball game I've ever seen. Only one player in double figures, and that was Cody Wickman. Um, God, that was an awful game. That's the lowest moment of the decade for me. Is uh, is watching that game, realizing what what could have been, and how one email. Alec Peters is out for the remainder of the season. What that could have been, and then really the 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 well that was the lowest game. I think really the sad moment for me was at Illinois in the NIT game. Still thinking, okay, maybe there's a chance. You know, Valpo got in, they get in at large berth, and then what? Like Alec had met with the doctors earlier in the day to find out about his foot, and then he drove to Illinois and kind of watching him get wheeled onto the you know, you know, out of the court. It was just a sad, sad moment there. So uh, let's, let's end it with, with a good, one more good moment. Was there another good moment that we can look at from the last, that win against Utah state in the Valley mountain West challenge? I thought was a great home win. Yeah. And it both, I think both challenge wins, like you're, you know, you get the pride of representing your conference and, you know, you beat Utah state in the first one, then to go out to UNLV and, you know, I, I, said this this Valpo team no matter who's on the team like they go out to Vegas they win games yeah yeah I I, I wish everyone would win when they would go out to Vegas <laughs> having just flown back from there yesterday hashtag don't bet on it um and then the uh, Illinois State the Illinois State that's the final yeah. one the Marcus Golder shot well I think the combination of that and that's where you kind of get the what if because Fazekas thing gets hurt January 8th last year but the combination of oh you get this crazy comeback against Illinois State and then you go down to Missouri State and the game Fazekas had against them down there. Just yeah. incredible. And, you know, Valpo controlled that game start to finish and and then Ryan gets hurt and And then and, the the final moment of the decade for me really was and and I guess not thinking about anything this year, maybe it's a collection of moments, has been the ascension of Javon Freeman Liberty. And for me it felt like it happened February fifth at Illinois State, 27 points, five rebounds, four assists, three steals, 11 of 13 from the floor. 
you and I were texting. I was at the game. You and I were texting each other during the game. Like, are we watching the greatest performance by a Valpo freshman ever? If not a player, you know, it was what a brilliant, brilliant. Well, I think we look at the first half box score, 41 to 24 at the half. He had 20 points in the first half at eight of 10. And then he, then he made, he only took three shots in the second half. He made all three of them. Uh, what a, what a game to hold Malik Yarborough to three points in the first half. Um, you know, forced ten turnovers in the first half. Phil Fain had three fouls. What it that was that was a brilliant, brilliant game. And then true to form, you know, Illinois State came storming back in the second half and made yeah. it a little uh little uneasy there. So well, we just did seventy two minutes of looking back at the last decade of Valpo basketball. Aaron, I'm really appreciative that you that you came in and, and talked about this today. Valpo's got a big one tonight against Southern Illinois, and it's a little too early to be playing the must-win category, and especially it's a road game, so I don't know if you know that you can really quantify those, but, man, the difference between 2-1 and one and 1-2 one and two feels big when you're coming home for a couple games after this. Especially um, if you can bank two road wins this early on in the conference ab- season. Absolutely, and losing a home game is tough, but when you lose it to Loyola – Actually, you know what? That's right. Valpo goes every other home and road for for a while now. Um, and that's that's the good thing I like about the Valley scheduling and what they and they talk about this at our summer media relations and marketing meetings and really break it down to show like, hey, we're trying to strategically schedule and make sure you don't have stretches and you used to have in the Horizon League where you have like five straight home games or five straight road games, and there's none of this. There. They're looking at home road balance, not doing too many of either in a row, if possible. You know, balancing days of rest as much as possible between games. And they did the conference office and um, the company they work with on scheduling really does a good job of trying to make it as level a playing field as possible for all the teams. Aaron Levitt, thank you very much for being here. Union Street Hoops will resume a normal schedule now that conference play has begun, and there's a little bit more routine in my life. Every Monday for the remainder of the conference season, you will get new episodes of Union Street Hoops. Aaron, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Go Valpo. Go Valpo.